you to take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, if you're looking at the Pew Bible, you should find it on page 1244. <clears throat> A few years ago, uh, an acquaintance of mine from Auburn named Chad Gibbs wrote a book called God and Football. And in that book, he begins by imagining what it would be like if an alien were to visit the American South one week during football season. Uh, he calls the alien Corso, and uh, he poses the question, what do you think Corso the alien would conclude about the religious beliefs of average everyday people? And this is what Chad Gibbs imagines would happen. He says, well, on Sunday morning, he'd probably see them make their groggy way to a steepled building where some sort of ceremony had begun 10 minutes before they arrived. Inside, he'd watch as they mouthed the words to songs, then struggled to stay awake while a man spoke for less than 25 minutes. Then for the rest of the week, this place would be the furthest thing from their minds. Corso might be justified in concluding that church for most was a court-ordered punishment. On Saturday, Corso would see something completely different. The people would wake up early, carefully choose an outfit based on the good fortune it had brought them in the past, then drive sometimes for hours to a hallowed campus where some sort of ceremony is scheduled for much, much later that day. All afternoon, they would eat, drink, and fellowship with friends, family, and strangers. Then, when the time came, they would all enter a colossal shrine and join tens of thousands of like-minded people. Inside, they would chant and sing until they lost their voices, and afterward, they would celebrate. I think it's safe to say that Corso will think he's found the one true religion, and he'll probably convert on the spot. Now, that's a funny illustration and a convicting illustration for some of us. There's certainly nothing inherently wrong with enjoying football, caring about football, but I do think it's a, an insightful mental exercise, um, and you could easily exchange football for just about anything else. I have this theory in life that everyone cares about something that other people think is silly. Uh, so some people really get worked up about Atlanta Braves baseball, and I'm just so used to them letting me down every fall that I quit caring a long time ago, and I think it's silly that anyone would care about them. Uh, some people really care about, you know, hunting, and they spend lots of time hunting, and they spend lots of money hunting, and other people think that's a big waste of time and money. Some people care about going shopping, and some people think, wow, that's a big waste of time. But whatever it is, we all care about something that other people think is kind of silly, and uh, we all get worked up about something that other people is, think is not worth that much time or money or concern. So don't, don't think only about football. Think about whatever it is that you really, really care about. And now let's ask ourselves the question. So the mental exercise is, if an alien were observing my life, what would he think is the thing that I care most about? If he just came alongside and watched my life and watched what I did and how I acted... What would he think, what would he assume is the thing that I care most about? Specifically, if he were to observe me when I'm gathered with the church, then observe me when I am uh, talking about or doing that thing that I really enjoy doing, what would his impression be about the thing I really, really care about? So it matters not just what we do, but how we do it. 
that's something we're going to ponder together this morning. So we're going to read together in Ephesians 5. We're beginning in verse 18. Ephesians 5 verse 18. Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word, and I do pray that... Uh, Lord, as we, as we saw in, in Sunday school this morning, that you uh, give us commands and statutes for our good. That you are a good, loving Father who, who you don't tell us to do things arbitrarily. You don't tell us to do things just because you're trying to pull our puppet strings. But that you tell us, you command us to, to be and to do certain things because you love us. Because you want us to share your character and to walk in your ways and to, uh, to display your character to the world around us. And so, Lord, we, we confess this morning that what we hear here in Ephesians 5, Lord, that this is for our good and it's for your glory. And we pray that you would give us all that we need to obey what you've commanded us to do in these verses. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you are in Christ, we saw last Sunday morning, if you are in Christ, you have been sealed with the Spirit of God. That is an irrevocable gift that God gives to everyone who hears the word of truth and believes in Christ. They are permanently and irrevocably sealed with the Spirit of God. Yet, at the same time, God still gives this command to those who have been sealed with the Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit, which is to say, continually surrender to the controlling influence of the Spirit. When someone is filled with the Spirit, it has noticeable effects they act differently, they think differently, they speak differently. And in verses 19, 20, and 21, Paul specifically points us to how our being filled with the Spirit impacts the praise of the gathered church. Now, worship is about more than singing, but this morning we're going to focus on that one aspect of our worship, singing. So I want us to try to squeeze out five characteristics of Spirit-filled singing. Five characteristics of Spirit-filled singing. First is that Spirit-filled singing is a biblical mandate. Spirit-filled singing is a biblical mandate. This is simple and foundational and some might say overly obvious, but it's helpful for us to start by saying that singing is not optional for followers of Jesus. God commands us, be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Not in, not in your heart, but with your heart. So God's not saying that you, know, you can somehow sit there and... Uh, you know, not, not actually say anything out loud, but just in your own heart. That, that's an impossible thing to do. It's impossible to sing and to make melody uh, silently, unless I suppose you are doing sign language or something along those lines. I've occasionally heard stories of Christians in certain parts of the world who 
have to sing quietly because they would otherwise risk persecution or death. But I, I mean, it's amazing that they still sing, isn't it? It's amazing that even though they know that someone could hear us and burst in here and throw us all in jail or worse, that they still sing. And we certainly don't have to worry about that. I don't know about you, but that's never happened to me. I've never had to come to church and worry about, well, we got to keep it down because we don't want we don't want anyone out there to be driving by and hear us. There's there's no room for someone to say, you know, singing just isn't my thing. I don't really care for music. That that's a nonsensical thing to say because it, it would be about as nonsensical as saying loving others is not my thing. Praying is not my thing. You may feel that singing does not come natural to you, but that's the whole point of God telling us to be filled with the Spirit. Lots of things don't come natural to us. Loving others does not come natural. Um, praying does not come natural. Pursuing holiness does not come natural. That's why God gives His Spirit to those who are in Christ, to empower us to do what does not come natural to us. Singing to the Lord with your heart is among those things that do not come natural, yet we are commanded to do as we are filled with the Spirit. So first thing is that Spirit-filled singing is a biblical mandate. Second uh, characteristic I want to see is that Spirit-filled singing directs all worship to God alone. Spirit-filled singing directs all worship to God alone. Notice the phrase at the end of verse 19 where Paul says, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And in verse 20, Paul speaks of giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the church sings together, we direct all of our worship to God alone, which means that Spirit-filled singing is not performative. There are times when a soloist or an ensemble or a choir may sing, but the purpose of that should never be performance. Our desire should always be that God alone is worshipped because He alone is worthy to be worshipped. And that's why the bulk of our singing together should be congregational. So again, we may have, a, like the praise team may sing a song on Sunday mornings. But the bulk of what we do on Sunday mornings is congregational, where everyone is engaged in singing together, not a performance by a band or an ensemble or a choir, but the entire congregation singing with one voice to God. Now, there are two equal and opposite temptations when it comes to directing all worship to God alone. The first temptation is for the person who has a beautiful voice, or who at least thinks they do. And we don't always have an accurate assessment of our voices. But So the first temptation is for the person who at least thinks that they have a good singing voice. This person might be tempted to sing in such a way that people will be amazed at how wonderful a singer they are. And it's just as easy to do this in the pew as it is on the stage. It doesn't mean that you have to have a microphone in your hand. It could just mean that you're, you're thinking about the people around you and you're just hoping that after the service today they're going to be like, wow, you have an awesome singing voice. If that's why we're singing in church, then we're not engaged in spirit-filled singing because because spirit-filled singing directs all worship to God alone. But here's the opposite temptation. 
It's just as prominent. The opposite temptation is for the person who does not have a beautiful singing voice, or at least who thinks they do not have a, a good singing voice. And again, we don't always have an accurate assessment of that. I've known plenty of people who say, I don't have a great singing voice, but if you ever hear them, they're, they're pretty good. The, 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 this person is tempted not to sing or to sing so quietly as to be nearly inaudible. The problem is that this person is just as concerned with what other people think about them as the person who wants to be heard and admired. Both of these people are thinking about what people around them are thinking about them. One person is thinking, I hope, they'll, I hope they'll admire me and think what a great singing voice I have. The other person is saying, I don't want to sing too loud because I don't want to be embarrassed or anything like that. Those are opposite temptations, and yet they come from the same root, which is a concern for what others think about me. So when we engage in spirit-filled singing, it's almost like we should forget that others are around. We're not singing for their admiration, nor are we afraid of their disapproval, but we're just singing for God alone. We're fixing our focus on Him and on no one else. So spirit-filled singing is when all of us collectively sing with one voice in such a way that we're using our voices like instruments to exalt the worth of God who alone is worthy to be praised. The third thing we see about spirit-filled singing is that it has other believers in mind. Spirit-filled singing has other believers in mind. Now, some of you are giving me the look right now which says, Matt, that seems to contradict what you just said about we're directing all worship to God alone. Doesn't this contradict that? How can spirit-filled singing be directed to God alone and yet it also has others in mind? You just said that we should almost forget that other people are around. There's an important distinction here that when we sing, our worship should be directed to God alone. We're not singing for our own glory. We're singing only for His glory. At the same time, however, notice the first half of verse 19. So the command, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we sing and make melody to the Lord. We give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in doing that, we're also addressing one another. And as Paul says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which means among other things that we're willing to submit our own preferences about musical style because it's not about one individual, it's about the whole congregation and what serves the church. So the million dollar question is, how do we sing in such a way that we're mindful of others, we're trying to encourage them, address them, and yet we're directing our worship to God alone? The key is, that when we sing, we're not thinking about what others think about us, but we are concerned with what they think about God. We're not concerned with their opinion of our voice, but we are uh, singing because we're concerned with their opinion about God. We're singing not because we want to ad- them to admire us, but because we want to encourage them with the truths of God's Word. That's one of the things that, that's one of the reasons why we're commanded to To sing aloud and to sing congregationally is because we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is one really practical reason why our kids stay in the sanctuary during the singing portion of the service. I think it's helpful to allow the kids uh, up to a certain age to, to be able to go and hear a Bible story in a setting that allows them some leeway to get their wiggles out, uh, It's helpful for some of the parents in here not to be distracted by 
trying to corral them. You can focus on God's Word. But it's also really important that our kids get to see and hear us singing. I started out this morning by asking the question, if an alien were to uh, observe your life, what would they think is the thing you care most about? And it occurred to me as I was thinking about that question this week that the truth of the matter is there are some little aliens that observe my life and their names are Nixon and Patrick. Uh, they can tell what I really care about. They can tell by, uh, by what I get worked up about by the things that seem to bother me, by the things that seem to agitate me, by the things that seem to animate me, they can tell what I really care about. So it's important that they get to witness their dad sing praises to God. C.S. Lewis said that we delight to praise the things we enjoy. We delight to praise the things we enjoy, meaning if you really enjoy something, if something really gives you joy and pleasure, then you want to praise that thing. You want to tell others about that thing. If you find a restaurant that serves the best steak in the world, you don't keep it to yourself. You tell other people about it. You say, I just had the best steak in the world, and it's at this place. Because you want them to get the same joy you had. When you have, when you have kids, one of the things you do is you walk around and you... People ask you about your kids and you pull out your phone. Used to you would pull out your wallet and show them pictures. Now you just pull out your phone and you show them a picture. Say, look at how cute they are. Look at this thing that they did because you want to praise them because you enjoy them. And you want that other person to see the joy you get in them. And so a good question we could ask ourselves is, with the manner in which I praise God, what am I demonstrating about my degree of joy in Him? What am I demonstrating about my degree of joy in God by the way that I praise Him? I want my kids to grow up thinking my dad really loves Jesus and really believes the truth he's singing. I don't want to give them the impression either with my facial features or with the lifelessness of my voice that these truths really don't matter all that much. I don't want them to come to church and see me just kind of get my way through some songs and then see me on Saturdays watch a football game and get all worked up and screaming and jumping around because you know what they're going to see? They're going to see that thing on Saturdays, what I I really care about and that thing on Sunday doesn't seem like it matters a whole lot to me. So singing is one of the most consistent ways that my kids can witness the joy that I have in Christ and the sincerity with which I believe in Him. And that's true not only with kids but also with others. So you may not have small kids but there are other children here and other adults who may look at you. We all kind of do that sometimes. We see people out of the corner of our eye we should not be performing for one another. We shouldn't be trying to work ourselves up that people say, oh, look at how passionate that person is singing. But we should ask ourselves, if, some were, if someone were to watch me sing, if, if there were somebody who just out of the corner of their eye saw me, what impression would I give them about how sincerely I believe the words I'm saying? What am I communicating with my facial expression? What am I communicating with the volume of my voice? Am I communicating that I really think Jesus is supremely worthy? Am I communicating that I really have joy in Him despite whatever circumstances I may be going through? Or am I communicating that this is just something to get through? This is especially true when you're in a community where you know people. Because there are times when, you know, even sitting on the front row where I'll know that there's someone here who's just going through something and maybe I'll hear something out of the corner of my ear, I'll see something out of the corner of my eye, and I'll hear them singing a song. And because I know whatever circumstance it is that they're going through, the fact that they're singing these words means so much more. 
So what does your praise of God communicate to others about your joy in God? Spirit-filled singing has others in mind. The fourth thing I want us to see is that spirit-filled singing is centered around God's Word. Spirit-filled singing is centered around God's Word. We're not only commanded to address one another, but to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, what are those three things? Well, psalms is obviously a reference to the biblical book of Psalms. It's the songbook of God's people. The psalms are so helpful in that they simultaneously are inspired by God. They're given to us from God, yet they're mostly directed to God. So the psalms are a great aid in helping us know how to sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart in a way that would honor Him. And what you, what you find when you look in the psalms is it covers the whole gamut of emotions, the whole gamut of experiences. And sometimes we may feel like we have to only say certain things to God, only speak to God in a certain way. And then you go and read the psalm and you say, wow, this person's really being honest about what it is they're feeling, about what it is they're going, to, going through. And those psalms give us a helpful way that we can address God, that we can speak to Him and sing to Him in a way that would honor Him. So we have the Psalms, but we're not limited only to the Psalms. Along with them, Paul says to address one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The phrase spiritual songs refers to songs that are stimulated by God's Spirit. So don't think about necessarily spirituals as we would call them. Those may be spiritual songs, but he means primarily songs that are stimulated by God's Spirit. And of course, if something is stimulated by God's Spirit, it's going to be according to God's Word because the Spirit would not stimulate someone to, to write a song or to sing a song that contradicts the Word that He inspired. And then you have the word hymns, which tend to be songs that have an aim of teaching. There are examples of hymns in the Bible, like in Philippians 2 and in Colossians one, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Those are examples of hymns that we find in the Bible, which are meant to be memorable ways that we can teach truth. And so this passage assumes that the church will write its own compositions for singing. We should address one another in a variety of forms, but it all must be centered around God's Word. So what that means is that spirit-filled singing is concerned with the content of what we sing. The first and most important question we should ask of any song we sing is, how biblical is it? It doesn't matter how excellent musically it is. It doesn't matter how beautiful stylistically or moving poetically it is. It might be a song that you grew up singing. It might be a song that was a favorite of somebody you know, but if it contradicts God's Word, it's useless as a conduit of genuine worship. So we have to think about the content of what we're singing and exercise discernment. The Spirit of Truth, again, would never lead us to sing anything that contradicts the truth of God's Word. So Spirit-filled singing should be doctrinally sound and centered around God's Word. Fifth, spirit-filled singing is incorporated into all of life. Spirit-filled singing should be incorporated into all of life. 
Notice how verse 19 is primarily focused on the visible gathering of the church, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You cannot obey Ephesians 5.19 without worshiping with a local church. You can, there are lots of great, awesome worship albums that you can find out there. You can watch live streams of the most excellent church bands in the world. You can listen to recordings of some of the most excellent choirs in the world. But you cannot obey Ephesians 5.19 by listening to a recording or watching a live stream because it says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which means that we have to be physically in a room with other believers singing in such a way that I can hear their voice and they can hear my voice and we are collectively encouraging one another with the words that we're singing. It has to be done with other believers. But then verse 20, on the other hand, takes spirit-filled singing and it pushes it out into the rest of life. So verse 19 is primarily focused on the visible gathering of the church, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then verse 19, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that always is where Paul pushes that spirit-filled singing into every part of life. Spirit-filled singing is not just something we do on Sundays. It's something we're commanded to do always. And this truth flows out of the fact that spirit-filled singing is centered around God's Word. It means that spirit-filled singing is based on God's Word, but also that Spirit-filled singing helps us to take the truths of God's Word that we've heard on Sunday into the rest of our week. When we gather as the church to sing, we're not just expressing truth with our voices, but we are impressing truth onto our hearts and minds. And that's something that we can take with us Monday through Saturday. So let me just ask you a really kind of practical question, and I, I promise you I don't want you to answer this out loud. How many sermons have you heard that you could quote? Think about that. I mean, seriously, how many sermons have you heard that you could quote? Maybe you've heard some really good sermons um, from some good preachers, Adrian Rogers, Billy Graham, Alistair Begg, John Piper, David Platt, fill in the blank. Maybe there are a few phrases that you can remember, you know, something that you heard one of them say that you could paraphrase or maybe you could quote verbatim. But most of us don't walk around quoting sermons. Even I rarely do that. Now, here's another question. How many songs could you quote the lyrics to? Maybe not the whole thing, but, you, you know, there's some phrases, some, some things that you could literally quote word for word. My guess is... I don't have any scientific data to back this up, but my guess is you could probably recite more song lyrics than you could sermon quotes, and that's okay. Preaching is obviously important. I wouldn't do it if I didn't think so. Uh, pastors are commanded to preach just as we're commanded to sing, so I'm not suggesting we just forget about preaching. But singing also has a great capacity to teach truth. So these two things are meant to work in tandem, hand in hand. Uh, singing helps us 
to remember truth. To this day, I can list all the U.S. presidents because when I was in middle school, I learned a song. Now, in fairness, it, the song ends with Bill Clinton, so I have to remember after that, but I can list all the U.S. presidents, not because I'm this savant who has a photographic memory or something like that, but because I learned a song when I was in middle school. I can tell you the Archimedes principle because when I was in seventh grade, we learned a song in science class that said the buoyant force is equal to the weight of the displaced water. I can quote a lot more hymns than sermons, including sermons that I have preached. Sometimes I go back and look at my notes and think, I don't remember saying that. Um, there are many people who would struggle to preach or teach some kind of Bible study, but anyone can sing or anyone can at least quote songs. And when we sing songs that communicate the truth of God's Word, we're teaching it to ourselves and to others. That's why singing the truth of God's Word should not be something we do once a week, but it's something we incorporate into all of life. So I want to leave us with a few takeaways based on everything we've seen and heard this morning. Three practical ways we can apply this. First is that we need to meditate on the worth of God Meditate on the worth of God. Genuine worship does not begin with singing. It begins with beholding the glory of God. Worship is a response to that glory. There's this phrase that you hear several places in the Psalms. I read it this morning in Psalm 96. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Meaning that there is a sense in which when we praise the Lord, we should be striving to match the greatness of His worth. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Before we can praise the Lord greatly, we, mean, we need to meditate on the greatness of His worth. Now, when it says greatly to be praised, that has nothing to do with the... You know, musical excellence, although we should certainly strive for that to the degree that we can. It doesn't mean that we should all be able to sing different parts and harmonize, although if we can do that, so be it. It doesn't mean that we all have dynamic voices that, uh, you know, we're not the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir or anything like that, although we should certainly strive for that. The greatness of our praise is about the way in which we do it. That we're not just sort of mouthing words quietly, but that we are engaged with our voice, with our face, with our bodies, got our diaphragms engaged in it to praise the Lord greatly. Before we can do that, however, we need to meditate on the greatness of His worth. And when we behold the greatness of His worth, it ought to compel us to praise Him greatly. So let this be the starting point. Let's meditate on the worth of God. And how do we do that? We can certainly behold God's glory in nature. We sang earlier, How great thou art, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. So we can certainly see the greatness of God in nature, but the clearest place we see it is in God's Word. And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. 
So we see the greatness of God's worth most clearly in His Word. The second takeaway for us is that we should prepare our hearts for singing with the church. This is, I think, an underrated discipline because it's easy, as Chad Gibbs sort of told us in that, um, that illustration about the alien watching people it's easy just to kind of stumble to church. We're, we're so busy trying to, in our house, get everybody dressed, you know, get shoes on, and then you rush out the door, and you get here, and you're just so frazzled by the time you get here that, in reality, we haven't really thought about what it is that we're going to do. We just kind of get here, and then we expect to just be able to shift gears so quickly. I want to just encourage you, to let your worship start before you arrive here on Sundays. When I was at uh, Camp Victory this past summer, something they do every night when the, uh, when the kids are coming into chapel is they just encourage all the kids to be quiet when they come in. Now, I'm not suggesting we start doing that. I think it's, it can be kind of like eerie when you walk in and nobody's talking, especially if there's a visitor but there's a sense in which they, right before they come into the room, they gather with their cabin and they pray. They ask God to prepare them. And then they come in and everyone is just laser focused on we're about to worship God. We're about to sing His praise. We're about to hear His word. And I don't know what it is, but there's something different about that. There are many times when the psalmist has to speak to himself and call on himself to bless the Lord. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. The psalmist is speaking to himself and saying, Self, bless the Lord. Psalm 42, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. We need to do that same thing. We need to consciously say to ourselves, Self, it's time to be quiet, to stop this turmoil, to stop thinking about what I have to do this week, to stop thinking about the grocery list and the laundry that I have to fold and the game that's coming on later today or whatever it may be. And self, right now it's time to bless the Lord. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you feel cast down and troubled, hope in God and praise Him. This is a decision that we have to make and it's a decision that we start making before Sunday morning. Brother Al at Lakeview used to always say, especially to the college students, Saturday Night Live is Sunday morning dead. <laughs> Meaning if you waste all your energy on Saturday doing whatever, whether it's you know cutting the grass, staying up late watching movies or TV, you know, wearing out your lungs at the football game, and then you come in and you basically give God your seconds. So that's a decision we had to start making before Sunday morning, that on Saturday, that we're making sure that we take some time for rest if we can, that we take some time to, to do whatever it is that we have to do so that on Sunday morning, we're not rushing, we're not running around like crazy, but that we're able in the, in the morning as we drive to church, as we're waiting for the service to start, to, to just 
do our best to turn our focus away from everything that would distract us and to fix our gaze on Him. So we meditate on the worth of God. We prepare our heart for singing with the church. And then third, last, we incorporate Christ-exalting music into all of our lives. I want to suggest to you that spirit-filled singing is an underrated tool of discipleship, both for ourselves and for others. I'm so thankful for the many times that I have read a passage of Scripture and then said to myself, oh, that's, that's where that song is from. But there, there are many verses of Scripture and biblical truths that I've learned first from some song that I heard and then realized, oh, this is where that came from. Spirit-filled singing is a tool of discipleship both for ourselves and for others. Again, not everyone may, be, may feel capable, let's just say with your children or grandchildren, to sit them down and have a Bible study with them. But one of the best and simplest things we can do is, is for ourselves and for others around us is to have Christ-exalting music playing regularly in the car, in the kitchen while we're cooking, at night before bed, and sing along with it in such a way that others can tell it means something to you. Sometimes, you know, we have to just tell Nixon in the car, um, hey, buddy, no more questions right now. We're not going to think about, uh, you know, I don't know, what happened to the dinosaurs or whatever it is that he's curious about that day. Let's just take a minute and let's listen to this praise music. And he's hearing those truths. He's hearing Christ-exalting music at a young age. One of the ways you could think about this is, think about, Lord willing, what it is that you're going to think about when you're on your deathbed. I highly doubt that any of us here are going to quote a sermon on our deathbed and say, let me recite for you this passage that Matt once said at Henderson Baptist Church. You're not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. But we might think of the words of a great hymn. We might even sing those words, a hymn like Amazing Grace or In Christ Alone or it is well with my soul. Christ-exalting music has a way of sticking in our minds and taking root in our hearts. So let's make use of this gift that God has given to us for His glory. I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories about people on their deathbed who are totally out of their mind. They can't remember who anybody is, but they can remember Jesus loves me or amazing grace or it is well with my soul or some truth like that. What a gift God has given us in music to make truth stick in our minds and in our hearts. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. Our opportunity to respond to God's Word. And as we sing, this is an opportunity for us to put into practice what we have heard this morning. To address one another in psalms and spiritual songs and hymns to sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart. My prayer is that uh, as we sing each Sunday, that it would be an opportunity for us to make truth stick in our hearts and also a way for us to encourage one another with our singing. So let's be mindful of that 
Let's be thoughtful about that. And as we sing these words, let's think about the words we're singing and let's pray that God would help us to sing them in truth. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for, God, how you speak to us in your word. And Lord, also we're thankful for the many, many hundreds, thousands of great songs that you have given to your church. Lord, we know that these songs are not inspired by you in the way that Scripture is, and yet to the degree, to the degree that, they, um, that they teach biblical truth, they are helpful for us in taking your truth and discipling us in it. God, I pray that you would help us to make use of this gift that you have given us. God, that we would be mindful of what you've said in Psalm 22, that you are enthroned on the praises of your people. And so, Lord, help us not to build shoddy thrones for you. Help us not to be careless in the way we enthrone you on our praises, but that we would see the greatness of your worth and seek to match that with the greatness of our praise. God, help us now as we sing and respond, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.